Welcome to Everyday Witch, the podcast. Join head witches Tess and Nikki as we discuss our lives and invite you to embrace the magic. Hello, everyone. I'm Tess. I'm Nikki. And, and we're, we're the, the Everyday, Everyday Day Witches. witches. <laughs> well, welcome, everybody. On today's episode, we are so excited. We have a group of lovely people that are here joining us to talk about magic, uh, deities, and a roundtable discussion. And I'm going to go ahead and let our guest speakers introduce themselves. Um, we look forward to um, dropping all their information in our description so you can like and follow their pages for their exclusive content. And they will also be joining us at Witchcrafted AZ October 2nd. So do come out and support all your local witches at this amazing event on October 2nd, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Glendale Civic Center. Masks are requested, a $5 cash entry. And um, first up, we have Miss Courtney. We'll be introducing her on our table today. Hi, I'm Courtney Jamison. Um, I am one of the owners of Crimson Sage here in Arizona. Um, I also own White Stag Publishing, um, which is a small press um, publishing esoteric poetry, fiction, nonfiction. Um, and yeah. Awesome. And we've had um, both of you, the others on before, Sandra and Dylan, if you want to like reintroduce yourself, that would be great. Dylan, you want to go first or you want me? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm Dylan. I am one of the two owners of Mom's Magical Ways in Phoenix, Arizona. We we have a lot of fun. I'm the other part. I'm Sandra. Um, Sandra Scott. I'm Dylan's mom. And uh, we are you know, purveyors of magical tools. Um, and also, most recently, uh, a project I'm really excited about is we're um, starting to put together a digital magazine that comes out on the Sabats and Esabats um, eight times a year with just, you know, informations about a whole variety of different traditions. So, um, you know, that's kind of what we do. And, you know, in this group, I'm probably the one that's been around the longest. I've been, uh, you know, magician, priestess, uh, witch, all of the above for probably close to 40 years at this point. All right. So basically with this episode, we're going to just be discussing different deities and archetypes and how they relate to the world today and why it's important to really understand that energy. And so the first kind of question or discussion we're going to be talking about is what deity or archetype do you feel represents the modern world the best right now? Can I start? Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to go with the one that I'm currently working with and have been for a while. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people are extremely familiar um, with working with her now. But um, Lilith is the goddess I've been working with recently. Um, and I think that with the current climate of a lot of um, the <laughs> sort of dominating patriarchal um, <clears throat> things going on that are impressing upon us right now. Like, you know, uh, the biggest, most notable one is the overturn of uh, Roe versus Wade. You know, as um, women, as non-binary people, as trans people, you know, we are being faced with a lot of these dilemmas where um, 
Lilith sort of takes this lead of, you know, finding our internal strength and power and really bringing that forth in any setting, really, but especially in a setting where we do feel more, um, you know, threatened and marginalized and less than um, ultimately what um, the goal is for ourselves. Um, so that's just briefly, I don't want to take too much on that, but there's a lot of other factors, a lot of other aspects about um, Lilith, a lot of symbology, archetypal um, symbology with her and representations, a lot of history that, you know, spans all over the place in different cultures and traditions, um, and a lot of depictions, you know, you see her as a succubus, a vampire, she's also, you know, the first woman in the garden, um, which, you know, there's so many depictions through literature and culture um, that, you know, she becomes this sort of all-encompassing and well-rounded um, force and power that we can relate to as people who are no longer, you know, staying in confines of boxes and we're moving past that and we're exploring more and becoming more and, um, you know, Lilith really does represent all of those aspects, I think. And so I think that's why she's become so widely um, relevant right now is because people are attaching to all of these different aspects that, you know, she truly does contain. Uh, listening to you talk, I just want to give you like a big like, yes, <laughs> right? Like, because um, I, I know a lot of people that have worked with Lilith but as an archetype, she's not specifically one that I work with a lot, but I work with her in the name of the idea of Babylon, who in my particular cosmogony and where I come from is sort of a representative of just the un unified female divinity, right? Mm -hmm. And in, in the way I started working with her, she, she includes the aspect of Lilith. Like she is that portion of the female divinity that was kicked out of the garden and told you were wrong because she, and like, so my word ends up being Babylon a lot, but what I'm really talking about is I sort of believe that like that, the goddess, it's just the energy of female divinity that has not been as represented in our world through like the patriarchal time has awoken in such a way that she is literally presenting herself to every single man, woman, child, gender fluid, non-binary, mm -hmm. you know, three-year-old, 82-year-old in the way that really works for them. So I, I, you know, people like the worship of Hakate seems to be becoming more and more popular. Lilith seems to be more and more popular. Kali, Durga, you know, Freya, like they're all these deities and oftentimes they're the aspect of femininity that was shunned well at some I think, point right? right and I think uh, I think right now too we're in a space where we're trying to take back a lot of our power that has been stripped from us for forever really um and you know I think that's the great thing about Lilith is you know a lot of people give her a bad rap for, you know, her biblical connotations and other things. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is she has reclaimed herself as a deity 
um, by encompassing all of these things that she has been depicted as throughout time and culture and, and different traditions. Um, and it's really interesting because, you know, I do refer to Lilith as um, a goddess in the, the female she because that's how I personally connect with her. Um, but there's a really interesting um, idea that she encompasses the she, the female energy, the male energy, and the non-binary energy. And because she encompasses that sort of triangle of powers, that sense of well-roundedness, that sense of um, higher power, that sense of transcendence, um, you know, comes from the knowledge and ability to have all of those different aspects when it comes to gender. And then even larger than that, realms and power and um, representations, all of those things. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's why I find her very fascinating to work with, because she is really a representation of the self. And everyone's going to see her very differently because of that. Right. And that, and that's why, like, when I hear you talk, like I a hundred percent hear just like, this is divine feminine, not in the sense that like it belongs to women. Right. But like, uh, you know, male and female divinity are represented within us, regardless of our genitals or our gender. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's the feminine divinity. That is the thing that is experientially moving through individuals in the world and reclaiming all of those things that were othered well and think about it this way as women oh my god I don't want to get too deep but I've been thinking about this a lot recently but just a quick spigot so in evolution terms you know life started off as asexual it was reproducing on its own right um there's scientific proof now now in the medieval times they use this against women but nowadays there is the scientific proof that women um as babies are being born the baby the fetus has an initial slit and depending on the hormones of the body of the woman carrying the baby can depend on whether or not that fetus continues to develop a penis or keeps their slit, which would be our labia as women, as women now. Right. So I wonder because we're, you know, what if I'm probably going to get a lot of hatred for this, but what if the male species is essentially a mutation that couldn't exist on its own and required the copulation and coexistence of women who were already asexual in order to produce. And then we adapted and evolved into this binary stage. Okay, I know, totally wacky. No, no, no. But it goes no, no. into my idea of, you know, Lilith being the first and the all-encompassing ideal of gender and sex and, and even reproduction and death and the whole cycle together. I, I, I'm not an expert on this at all, and I'm just going to drop it here, but I want to tell you, I was in a room with a a group of Masons once when they were forced to um, answer the question, why no women? And they, um, one of them used a Rudolf Steiner theory that actually kind of starts 
We started off asexual. We looked like women. We could reproduce on our own. We've moved to where we are now, but we're going to continue to evolve. And eventually the species will look more masculine. And instead of creating life in their uterus, they'll do it in their Adam's apple. Yeah, I mean, I think that's taking so, right? so the theory it's not and twisting it for sure. Like, yeah, right. But like I'm just saying that there's there are there have been other theories that I that people have brought to me that have you know said that they believe on a like psycho spiritual level that this is actually evolutionary and that once again we will go back to being able to procreate within our own bodies. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really an interesting factor. I know I totally segued that, but I, I love it so much because it does have this sort of, you know, grounding to, you know, what Lilith as a deity represents. And honestly, what a lot of deities represent, because when we talk about deities, we do talk about the cycle and life and creation and destruction and or death and all of those different things. And it really does go into, you know, the natural cycle of things and the creation of life and the universe and everything as we know it. So um, I just love that. And I just, I felt like I had to share that. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Dylan, do you have uh, anything to add? I, I don't know what else there is to add to that. That pretty much, I feel like, covered all the bases. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I mean, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I feel like you guys kind of just took out all my questions in that one, <laughs> one thing. Like, <laughs> But to me, like, Lilith is equality and really symbolizes equality. When she decided to, like, leave the garden, it was because she wanted equality and really symbolizes being like a feminist you know so I I agree with everything you said about Lilith that was kind of the next question so you answered it a little bit but like we are seeing so much of Lilith and Hecate in modern media and culture like why do you think that is especially right now like I don't know if you guys watch Sabrina but they've been brought up a lot in that show and other shows that have come out more recently. Why do you think I do have a theory about why I think um, Hecate is really popular right now. And I mean, I can say it really quickly. I could go on for hours, but the short version is because we live on the threshold. Our days are at the crossroads. We are the, the earth, the, the, existence is is crossing through a liminal space and she is the goddess of the threshold the crossroads and the liminal spaces yeah and um with Lilith you know it's interesting because um a lot of people that I talk to who do um start working with her a lot of people I talk to have the same experience as to how they um initially get into working with her. And a lot of people say the same thing that she just starts 
showing up for them in their lives. And for me, she actually randomly came to me in a dream and I was aware of her, but I wasn't totally versed in, you know, all of the things that she represented. And it came to me in a dream. And then all of a sudden I started seeing her pop up everywhere in pop culture in songs and, you know, books and all of these things or people talking about her on Instagram, TikTok. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, something's saying something to me here. And so I started doing my research and started finding all of these connections and really began connecting with her. And I think that that's what's happening right now is the sensationalism of witchcraft and the occult right now um, is bringing about these things. And even though it is sensationalism, it's very real. It's coming from a very real place. Lilith makes herself known to people who need to know her. You know, and I think that that's why she pops up a lot and, you know, things like Sabrina and all. And I think Sabrina, too, was trying to go for a very progressive approach to um, <clears throat> Satanism and witchcraft and, you know, trying to remove that patriarchal sense anyways. And Lilith is such a prime example of that, that, you know, it was easy, I think, to attach to her in that way for those creators and writers. Yeah, and Hikate, I've been, like, similarly, like, most of the people that come to me and talk, you find that she's approaching people in really similar ways, but, I mean, I've always kind of felt like divinity approaches you in the way you need it, you know, because it's so individual, but, um, and uh, Hikate specifically goes under so many names and so many guises that, like, you know, she can be, you know, anything from the world soul to the mother to, you know, and, and, and she throughout history, throughout time and throughout different regions has been worshipped so differently that, that there's almost nothing feminine that couldn't fall in her purview. When she sort of destigmatizes de the idea of death and, you know, death being... It, it, death is more of a natural cycle and like showcasing the transformation. That. Exactly. And, um, you know, Lilith is that way in a weird, in a, in a sort of different way with like sexualization, you know? So I think both of them kind of show us a side of things that are just stigmatized in our society yeah. and in our culture. And we're just unwilling to accept these things. Every time you say Lilith, like knowledge, like those words, like every time that I hear you say the word Lilith, I think of her, right? She, she's that knowledge that was, you know, shunned. We do not want this information. And she's like, no, you need this information. I'm bringing it back. Right. Yeah. She's sort of the anti-hero <laughs> in the garden. <laughs> Uh, what do you think is important for people to know about either of them if they want to work with them or just learn more? Like, what's the most important thing to know? Um, well, I mean, there's many different ways to work with any deity. Um, I think when it comes to deities overall, people should definitely um, work with a relatable deity. Obviously, you don't want to work with a deity that is completely opposite of your intentions or, you know, what you want to represent for yourself. Um, yes, sometimes they do come to you, but, you know, I think it's kind of like when people work with demons too, sometimes demons come to them and you have to really decide, like, is this going to 
be okay and healthy and good for me to also work with them. I think the same about deities, you know, you don't want to work with somebody that you're not knowledgeable on, which obviously you can get knowledgeable on. Um, So, you know, obviously find a deity that best represents who you are and what you look to get out of them. And with Lilith, I really hone in on a lot of those things. You know, what do I want out of Lilith? What do I see in myself through Lilith? And that's what I work with. So, um, you know, a lot of times, like, sort of an easy one is, you know, you want to connect with your body more. Um, A bath is a good way, a ritual bath. You know, you can find ways to connect with aspects of your body more. Even orgasming, you know, whether by yourself or with a partner is a great way to even connect with your body and yourself and your mind in that sort of liminal space between um, sensations in life. And um, so I think there's a lot of ways you can do that. I have a very large altar for her. Um, Lilith loves trinkets. And so I collect trinkets. So when I go places, when I go out of town, um, I find like little things, whether it's a stone or a shell or just like a little, I think I've got like a little uh, bear statue on there, some uh, jewelry that I've picked up for her. Um, And so I decorate her that way. Um, I have candles obviously on it. So I create a nice big altar and it allows me to take those moments out of the day to pay me homage, to give her my respect, to give her my offerings. I have a bottle of wine and I fill up glasses for her um, and sort of share a glass of wine with her. And it gives me just this extra, you know, enhanced sense of connection with her um, that allows me to get like the results that I'm ultimately looking for in working with her while also giving her respect as a deity and an archetype and a very powerful influence. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's all different ways um, and all different, you know, ways you can connect, but really it starts with what does she represent to you and how can you incorporate things that, you know, go with those representations how can what do those connect to essentially i liked you saying you know the respect right Mm -hmm. um like whoever you're approaching but like so like in in this particular question it would be hakate that i have the most experience with right um and she you know she's got a bad rep right a lot of people think of her as you know as, as a scary person and you know she can't be um you know but that idea right with respect and i i think that like for me like when i'm giving people advice i you're like so much of what you said for lilith can go for a cocktail like set up a nice space think of things to give for offerings you know give before you ask that is always my best piece of advice when it comes to and and i say it not because i don't think people are but but back in my day nobody mentioned that it was like they would, you know, it was all about, well, here's a spell to go get what you want. You know what I mean? And it's like my natural tendency was like, what up? I mean, don't you usually give before you ask? And it makes me happy that that's a greater trend in the magical world now than it was 30 years ago. But that's where I normally start with people, right? Like you're like, make them a sacred space. Find out what, um, you know, what they like. Uh, bring them nice things, you know, talk to them. But at the minimum with Akate, like very specifically, like the dark moon is is really the best time 
to uh, give her some sort of offering, whether you can get to crossroads with it or not. And um, in my experience with Akate, uh, which may seem counterintuitive because I talk a lot, um, you, you, you don't talk much, you listen more. Yeah, that's understandable. And I can see like those connections too. The thing is, is they cultivate this, um, that sense of respect and connection. And, you know, just like you would respect your, your fellow friend or neighbor for helping you with something, you know, you would give them the same respect. You would treat them well. And deities are obviously so much more transcendent than that because you're also connecting yourself to them at a spiritual level. You know, you're making yourself vulnerable to these, these, this divinity, um, this energy and, you know, it can be very dangerous, like I said, for some people, and it can be like very productive and uplifting um, and beneficial for other people, because then the more you start to connect with them in these representations that you're feeling um, that they have, you start to manifest more out of it and you start to manifest more within yourself too. And, you know, to me, that's the kind of power that I prefer to work with is trying to create more power within myself to be able to accomplish what I need right. to. You, right. Like you just said, it. like all of these things, everything that we're talking about, that it's self transformational magic, mm-hmm. right. It's less about like, you know, uh, you know, materialistic things, right. It's, it's something that's, it's the magic that transforms who you are. So you have to be willing to change. Well, and I think also when working with a deity, you have to think about uh, what, like you were saying with what you're trying to get, like what you're working with them for. Um, But then also specifically realizing like, if it's not that time that any of that should be working for you, respecting that they might be quiet or they might not be working with you as often as you want them to be. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a lot of what they teach us too, is this sense of self-awareness and when something is right for us or not right for us, or, you know, um, sometimes we have to experience that the hard way. And then sometimes, you know, it kind of hits us with a sign and we're like, Hmm, maybe that's not what I should be looking for now. You know, maybe I'm skipping some steps here or yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's great advice and definitely like finding what really connects with you and resonates with you is good advice because a lot of times what's popular in the media is what people try to, you know, gravitate towards or to just do that because it's the cool thing everyone else is doing. Yeah. When that happens, I feel like people don't hear back as often with your quotes from those deities and it's like yeah because they you're not doing it for the right purpose well and like with everything when it comes to magic and occultism and witchcraft and you know any craft for that matter that you you participate in research is extremely important and I do think that a lot of people get into things because they do see it in pop culture they do hear about something in the media and they just immediately attach to whatever that representation is not going out there and looking at you know all of the different scholarly texts on 
all of these things out there, you know. Um, I hear you. Real mythologies, you know. As as a woman in her 50s, man, sometimes I get really frustrated because I'm like, dude, when I was 20, I couldn't find this stuff. Like you had to go to the university library in a different state. Like it wasn't just out there. And sometimes you're just like, man, do the research because it's right there at your fingertips. And there's like centuries of information on some of this. Yeah. No, I hear you. That's where technology, you know, is very important too in witchcraft. And I do believe that is, you know, we have all this information now at our fingertips. That power is extraordinary. Now, how we use that power is really going to determine whether or not, you know, we get, we manifest something that we're really, you know, looking for truthfully. And so, yeah, I mean, you got to be careful on the internet. Sometimes you're going to get some wrong information, but that's why you do the research. You look at all different perspectives. Then you pull in texts, you know, you go to the library, you go to your local metaphysical shop or online and find, you know, these books. And like, you know, they've got, we all start with those beginner guides and then we decide we hate them because they're all whitewashed and bullshit. And then we go into these more specific guides and we realize oh we like that or hey we like this more so then we start going even deeper and deeper and deeper into you know all of these things and um there's an extraordinary amount of power to it if you're careful and safe and always remembering that you as the human working this need to be in a good place for it and in a good headspace, a good body space, you know, all of those things. And you need to to do your research, essentially. Like, I don't know, it, it pains me sometimes when people tell me things that they've done. And I'm like, oh my God, did you read about that first? Like, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I've had some stories where I've been like, okay, well, um, you should never have done that. If you, you know, and it's like, you just, kind of have to help people you know back it out if you can but yeah it's it's hard because like there is so much information and there's so much more information than I had and that has is a blessing and a curse right Mm -hmm. and actually I think is uh, part of the reason why we started the magazine to try to like okay not everybody's going to take the time to check all this research so let's just keep throwing as much information that because you know, all the people that contribute, you know, have been doing this for anywhere from, you know, 10 to, you know, 40 years, right? So you've got people that are scholarly researched in different areas that can actually get some sort of tidbits to people in like a modern way. So they'll see it because it's short enough. Right. And I think that like, you know, that exposure to contemporary witchcraft and paganism in general is so important because there are so many misconceptions of what it all is, you know? And I mean, you know, I've had to explain to my family, like, no, this is actually what I do. This is what it's all about. And they're like, oh, wow. Okay. That's totally different than what I expected. And so I think that that's why that research is so vital because you know, we all love the theatrics of it. Don't get me wrong. We love our, oh, yeah. we absolutely do. If we could, we would be on our brooms fucking up in the air and having a good time. Oh, hell yeah. 
<laughs> but there's also a, you know, some people say, oh, you're rooted in fantasy. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I am so connected to so many things right now in my mind and with people. I am more real than I have ever been because I'm so grounded in very real things, you know? And that's why like I manifest this- reality. Yeah, that's why I say with deities, you know, they are a mythology. They came from somewhere. They weren't just this poof, we believe in unicorns kind of thing. It's no, they came from somewhere. And then they just constantly were translated through literature and oral traditions that they are now what they are. And, you know, I think that a lot of pieces of history and deities and mythology are lost. And it's, it's, you know, witches and spiritualists and um, historians that keep them alive and keep them, you know, keep Caridwen burning her flaming cauldron, you know, like, that's, that's what it's about, you know, and um, in a sense, they keep, us burning alive too. Or that sounded bad, but our cauldron burning. <laughs> burning. Um, yes. Yeah, I think that's the great thing about like social media is it's brought it so much more attention to it, and people have been able to learn so much more. But it's also a downside because it's like thirty second little bite clips, and you're not actually getting any real information. Like even when doing this podcast, that's part of the reason I wanted to do it. But like. I've had to take in out some things because people have said something. It's hard. <laughs> That's it actually reminds me of um God, was it? I think it was the yes, it was the Yule market um last year. And this guy came up to my booth and he was an older gentleman. And he definitely something was up with his leg, like he had a cane and stuff. And he starts talking to me and asking me about um, some of the goddess like things that we had out. And um, I don't remember how we got into this, but he said something like um, that he practiced, he used to practice chaos magic. And I was like, oh, interesting. And I, you know, of course I'm trying to just keep it lighthearted and nice and everything. And I, but I didn't have time to sit here and hear his life story. So I'm like, Oh, cool. You know? And he's like, yeah, he's like, well, it really shows, doesn't it? And then points to his leg. And I was just like, Oh dude, like it was that very obvious consequence to performing stuff and doing things that, you know, you either weren't well-versed in or you just didn't care what the consequences were going to be of it. And now I'm not well-versed in chaos magic. I don't know a whole lot about it, to be honest. Um, But, you know, it's one of those things where like, I mean, that was a cautionary tale, but had he just come up and glorified chaos magic, you know, (laughs) that's dangerous and scary, you know? Yeah. I think there's some things that are like, I'm not saying it's not your practice, but I just think that they are very dangerous. And especially if you're just like throwing it out there, not giving any sort of information or background about it, it's extremely dangerous. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's difficult because I think it's very split. I think you have half of the magical or spiritual community or occult community, whatever you want to call it. Um, you have half of the community that really is true to what they're doing and really wants to, you know, 
expand their knowledge because that's part of this too. Think about ancient witchcraft, ancient magic, ancient um, cults. They The whole thing was oral tradition. It was very important for people to share, for practitioners to share their knowledge with the next generations and with other people. It was very important. So one, withholding knowledge from the witchcraft community as a practitioner involved in the community is very dangerous. Um, two, you know, gatekeeping is also very dangerous, but that's why the big thing is, is telling people to do the research. They can make their own conscious decision after that point, but they still need to do the research or you are going to go into potentially harmful situations. And I mean, shoot, you could talk about this with covens and groups that, you know, get really into initiation and things like that, you know. If you're not aware of these certain things, you know, next thing you know, you're being groomed by a Wiccan priest who maybe not doesn't have the greatest intentions for you or for your group. You know what I mean? And this goes with everything in life. I mean, anything that we consider <laughs> taboo, I think, um, requires knowledge. And then I think it becomes powerful to us because then we know and we feel connected to these things. So it's, I think it's like a, a positive thing, but also there's a lot of people who don't want to do the leg room. They want quick magic. And it just, it's, it doesn't work that way. I feel like that's always been there though. And I feel like that that's always going to be there. Right. And the best you can do, like there's always, it, it, it's, it's literally no different than people that want to take a pill and fix you know, their health. Like mm -hmm. there's always going to be some portion. Uh, I feel like, like all of us, like what we do, like the things that we provide, we provide things for people that aren't going to want to like do the research, to, like say, make their own candle or make their own whatever. Right. And I think it's important that there's people that do have the experience that'll put it out there because there will be people that won't do the research, but like if they buy, you know, a candle from Tess, they know it's, it, it is researched, right? But I think when it comes to like your personal practice, like you really, at some point, you're going to do the research. Yeah. You know, and it's it's going to be necessary. Yeah. And I think even, you know, as artisans too, um, I think artisans are doing that. They're sharing their knowledge and their experience. You know, most of what, I, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like you guys understand the sentiment. Most of what we are selling, what we are working, what we are sharing out there in the world is something that we have worked with or thought necessary or want or, you know, want to include as um, part of our practice or share with other people as something we know. I don't make anything that I don't do research on. Right. I don't. Like I say, mine comes, like you say, it comes through your practice, right? Yeah. Like like, it's my, yeah. My practice definitely guides the products I make. Right. Exactly. And that's, you know, everything that you, yes, hundred percent. Thank you for articulating that. Um, but like, I think that way with like ingredients too, and things, you know, you're giving people, let's say you're doing an herbal charm bag and you're saying this charm bag is for protection and you include certain herbs. You're like, okay, here's some sage, here's some blood root, here's some rosemary, here's some rose petals. You're already sharing the knowledge with 
folks that that combination or those herbs separately have these representations and, you know, this energy or strength. So you're, you're sharing that in a way. And then you're they teaching. know. You're mm-hmm. teaching them at the exactly. same time. Or yeah. you're giving them the opportunity to learn, right? Exactly. Because then they walk away and they might say, well, why did they put rosemary in this? Why did they? And the next thing you know, the next time they need to do something that's appropriate for, they have more information. Yeah, no. And they're understanding. So then maybe next time they're like, hey, I want to make my own herbal satchel for protection. They already know what what there is. Or maybe they want to make a spell jar or something. They start you know, we start learning about these different attributes to to ingredients and archetypes and tools and all of these things that we can start formulating on our own, like what's going to be necessary for a certain moment or a certain time. So that's why I actually, when I got into the craft, I I started with the Sabbaths 100% because they opened up for me this idea of correlation and representation and how, you know, the different seasons connect to all of these different things you know the the symbology out there like you know we take let's just look at Samhain for instance you know we talk about the great cycle we talk about death we talk about you know the decay of the land we talk about it being the final stage before rebirth we're talking about spirits we're talking about the fairy realm we're talking about you know all of these different things well then what goes with that you know well what herbs mean different things how can you work with the dead with certain herbs how can you work with the dead with certain crystals how can you work with the fairy realm with certain herbs and oils and tools you know and so then we start attaching all of those connections and correlations next thing you know you're like sabbat rolls around and you're like done and done i got my whole shit ready to go because I already know, you know, how I'm utilizing this season and, you know, its aspects. So for me, that's what opened up my world to, you know, this idea of correlations and connections. And the moment I learned about one herb, I was able to use it for a lot of different things. And then I learned about another one and then I learned about mixing them. And then, you know, it just evolves into this smorgasbord of things that you can you know, have at your fingertips. And that knowledge is so cool and powerful. And then as a writer too, you know, I went to school, I did my master's in my undergrad in poetry too. And that's, you know, part of why I run the publishing company too. But in that way too, I'm able to then translate a lot of that symbology and those representations into my own writing too, and use those as literary devices to, you know, explicate a feeling or or emotion or evoke some kind of, you know, feeling in the writing. So then, I mean, you can start applying all of these things to everything in your life because then connections just become limitless really really and I think that is when we talk about deities that's the the circling back you know that's the big connection with deities is the ability for them to open us up like fucking wildflowers to the sun to the energy that is you know moving us and grounding us and taking us to you know transcendent places and um I know, gosh, I I could probably talk about this for days, but (laughs) I love listening to you. It's great. One of the things you said there, right? It's like the deity. I mean, the bottom line, in my opinion, my arrogant opinion, or whatever you want to call it, is we that's what we are. 
everything that's manifest in this universe is a manifestation of deity. Like there is no God, but mankind, humankind, you know, whatever you want to call it. Right. Mm -hmm. We are representations of that divinity working our work in this world. One of the few credits I actually give to Aleister Crowley is his idea of the godlike state and that we are essentially God based on the knowledge that we've accumulated over time and the experience that we've applied to that. Um, And I think about that a lot because I believe in self-deification and I totally want to share. So this is like practically my Bible. It's called the Canticles of Lilith. And it's by Troy Books. They make fucking gorgeous books. But um, in it, a lot of what the writer is attaching to Lilith as a deity is this idea of self-deification, is this idea of transcending our higher ourselves to a higher place through this deity, looking at this deity as a mirror into our own spirits and our own selves and um, right. by doing that, we put ourselves in the center. We put ourselves at the center of the altar. And in caring for Lilith, you're ultimately caring for yourself. This is maintenance. This is self-care. This is, you know, you're basically creating your own power out of something already existing, you know, and which is essentially magic in general, but I love this book because it explicates the idea of self-deification so much. And it really, because part of my journey too, was I was also doing shadow work a lot in my journey. And I think that's also a big reason why Lilith came into the picture for me. So, you know, I was trying to understand that connection a lot. And when I read a lot about this idea of self-deification, um, through sympathetic magic, through deity worship, um, it was really eye-opening to me and made me regain that sense of power over myself and my beliefs and my spirit and, you know, what I ultimately wanted. And it made me care more about myself and pay attention to myself. Why do I do these things? Why am I acting this way? Where does this come from? You know, how can I better myself? How do I want to better myself? You know, it relinquishes all of those influences that society puts on us, our parents put on us, our friends put on us, lovers, you name it. It it drops, it sheds all of that influence and allows us to muster up our own personal influence within ourselves. And it was instrumental in my shadow work and sort of going over that that corner in the shadow work where it's just utter chaos. Um, It was instrumental and it was instrumental in helping me figure out who the hell I was and what I am about and what I'm doing, because you do get to a certain point. And I'm sure after you've been doing this for so many years, um, Sandra, you can attest to this, but you get to a certain point where the magic you've been doing isn't really working for you anymore, or your practice is running stale, or even your introspection in the process is kind of like slowing momentum. And you're kind of like, okay, I need to figure something else out here. I'm past this point. What's the next step in my it's, it's almost it's almost like a weight loss program, right? You plateau. 
Yes. Um, yeah. And then you, and then you, you have to like add something else to it. And yeah, I mean, and it's something I think it's really important. And I like, as you know, sort of like an old timer, you know, going into my cronish years or whatever, I like to remind people that come to me for like mentoring sessions and stuff like that, that like, like, if you think that I have actually sat down every single day of my life and done my hour-long meditation for the last 40 years and I never fell off the wagon, like, honey child, you are setting yourself up for a fall. You know, people would come to me and be like, you know, I try to meditate. I close my mind, my eyes, and my mind goes crazy. I'm like, congratulations. You're doing it right. <laughs> like, nobody sat down their first time and went, and it was perfect not even the Dalai Lama you know but yeah it takes time yeah and you have to like it's so trite I mean tropes are tropes for a reason but you know uh, a magical pathway in this world is a pathway of self-initiation it is self-transformation and we're fucking onions and you're going to peel away a layer and you're going to get somewhere and it's going to work. And then you're going to have to go deeper or instead of an onion, if you want it to be a spiral, you're going to go around that circle and you're going to go higher. You can look at it from any perspective, but the yeah. bottom line is you're never going to, you're never going to be there. If you're there, you, you're gone. Well, and look you're at not the manifest anymore. Yeah. And look at pretty much all mythology on deities they're all going through a very transformative experience in their stories. I mean, look right. at Caridwin. I mean, Caridwin's a great example because she literally transforms into a bunch of different things. You've got Hecate, who is maiden mother crone. You've got Lilith, who's, you know, the, the, um, the whore and the, <laughs> the, right. the, and you know the vampire and stuff I mean she's so many different things and Bladuet is one of my favorite transformations you know you have this idea it's a very seemingly um anti-woman tale but she takes her power back and becomes a goddess essentially and owls are very very sacred to the Welsh people and so when they see owls they see her and they see death and they see the cycle and this cycle of transformation and that is power that is a deity taking back its power after having gone through this sort of forced transformation by a bunch of fucking dudes <laughs> right and I love about her is that like she's literally flower faced mm-hmm. right you know, like that, that, that's, you know, like you say, she was given so much by that, like the dudes and she, mm -hmm. she was so like seen as like an atypical femininity, but her name literally means like flower face. Yeah. And that's actually what they call um, owls in, in Wales. That was like the yeah. thing that they used to call them were flower faces. So that's how they attributed a lot of that, a lot of her to the owl and everything too, from her transformation. But you know, I had it out with an artist one time on Instagram and I mean, everything ended very peacefully and nice. Um, but I, he didn't like the story of Bladuet because he said it was very anti-woman. And I said, well, by saying that you are making it anti-woman, but by looking at what she resulted in and the way that we herald her now, she, it's not anti-woman. It's her reclaiming her power, which is essentially what Lilith is doing, what Hecate does, what 
all of these goddesses, I mean, look at even Pomona, Athena, I mean, all of them, they're so, it's all about taking, you know, their power back. And I think that's as, you know, women, especially right now, we are taking our power back and we can connect to these, these deities and look at them as inspiration for taking our own power back, for seeing something within ourselves, for doing all of these different things that we want to in this world. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of power to that. And I, I think that people need to like recognize that. And then Courtney, I feel like you and I could just sit here and bullshit about this for days. I know days. maybe I don't get out much with witches because <laughs> so like, in me. I'm, I'm the same man. I, I I'll I'll go, but like I'm just everything you say, every time you talk, I'm like, I want to be like, yeah, and yeah, and you know. This has actually been part of me taking my power back because I actually used to be very afraid of speaking on things that I was passionate about or felt knowledge about. I always had this fear that I, because I, I was for so long dumbed down in a lot of ways. And I always had this fear that I had no merit in the poetry community and the witchcraft community um, that maybe I would say something wrong and upset somebody or be called out or um, I would be seen as stupid or unintelligible. And, you know, in the process, I was like, fuck man, I've got two degrees. I've been doing this for years. I have to give myself some merit at this point because I, why would I have, you know, all of this knowledge if I didn't have some merit? And so I'm trying to open myself up more to sharing more about my knowledge because I do think I have a lot and I want to share it with other people. And, um, but you do have a lot of knowledge. I mean, like people come up to me all the time about you uh, because you do witchcrafted and we both do witchcrafted and everyone knows who you are through witchcrafted, you know, and everything you make is so beautiful and unique. Yeah. And people always talk about like all your stuff, especially your headdresses and everything, because those sell out so fast. But I yeah. understand that like part of the reason with starting this podcast was like, it's hard to talk about yourself. It's hard to talk and feel like maybe I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but like, it's okay to have other people on who know what they're talking about more than I do and be like, yeah, I'm not an expert at this, but that doesn't mean that I have to like hide in a corner, <laughs> you know, and no, be you like, at all ashamed because I don't know one specific thing like we had sort of talked about this about how it's like in the community you sort of feel like if you don't know everything that you know nothing and it's very gatekeeping in that way of like oh you have to know every single thing and every herb and every crystal and whatever else and it's not like that and I want people to understand that better and feel more open yeah yeah well, and for the people who do know a lot more and have spent more time than probably most should, as much as I love some of them, to know like every crystal. They don't know anything else, but they know every crystal. It's it's taking that away from them in the sense that like they walk around going, I know every crystal, why don't you? And it's like, because I don't. And that's okay. I know the crystals I work with, if someone asks me, I'll go and research, but like, 
I don't know all these things and awesome that you do, but like go over there and do that. And we're all going to have our own experiences. Yeah. Yeah. We're attached to different things. You might be into crystals, you know, one month and the next month you're really into herbs and learning about different herbs. And I feel like if you have come to a point of contentment and you feel like you have nothing else to learn, you're doing something very wrong. (laughs) Right, we should be learning about this shit till our deathbeds, you know. Yeah, it's like the people that I've ran into over my life who have been like, you know, I mean, I I've done banishing rituals every day for twenty years. I don't have to banish anymore, and I'm like, "Mm -hmm." not sure I agree with that theory. Right, I mean, like, and I think that there's always more. You know, yeah, there's you always to learn. More. Yeah, there's always more to transcend to. There's always more to expand. You're never going to hit a point of all knowing and everything. And if you do, bless right. your soul. Well, so I'm sitting here listening <laughs> to you talk about Lilith today. And it's such a, a like, it's, it's so much fun for me because, like, I know a little bit about her, but I, I haven't worked with her. Right. And so, like, no matter where I go, no matter what I do in life, I always learn from the people I'm having conversations with. And I'm just so happy that more often in my life now, because of the world and the availability, Mm -hmm. that those people that I'm having conversations in my life have actual, like, magical things that they are confident enough to share because we're making it okay to talk about these things more. And that gives us all a greater opportunity to learn from each other. And I think that's where, you know, we need to maintain this balance of sort of um, confidence in what we do know while also knowing that we're human and we don't know everything, you know? Right. That those sort of fallacies, if you want to call them that, um, are really what make us more well-rounded in our practice is because, again, a huge thing a huge takeaway from ancient practitioners on is the the collection of knowledge and the gaining of knowledge and mm-hmm. it doesn't ever stop now it will make you more and more powerful each time but it won't stop you will constantly be open to knowledge and i think for true spiritualists too when you start hitting a certain point in your spirituality oh my god you open one door and then all these things start opening up and you're like, holy shit, you're just connecting all these different, it's like synapses in the brain, but they're all these different earthly connections all of a sudden. And you're like, it just keeps blooming that way. And so then the more you learn, the more it opens up another door. And it just, I think it's expansive, which is what's so fascinating about it is it's just, it's limitless and you can tap into any part of the pool that you really want to, um, or all of it, you know? Yeah. Thank you guys so much for being on today. Thank you for having us. Yes. Thank you so much. We always love chatting.